challenged. You will question everything you thought you believed. Prepare to be. Welcome back to Analyzed. I am your host, once again, Thomas. Joining me this week is uh, Sam, is back with us. How you doing, man? Hi, I'm good. Happy to be here. And JJ is going to be kind of floating in and out of the show. How you doing? I'm terribly chipper. Terribly. <laughs> I'm glad. I, I, I took the day off, so uh, I'm more well-rested than I, I should be for a Monday. Aren't, aren't you lucky? I've been on the road like most of the day. Where, what have you been doing on the road? I uh, had to do some uh, rounding for work, so I've been traveling between my home and Toledo. Ar har, yeah. I, this this year is my seventh year at my job, and per the union contract on your seventh year, you get an extra week of vacation from that point forward, and then I think the next point would be like 15 years. You get another week, so you're up to like four weeks of vacation a year. And then it just keeps increasing. The longer you're there, the the more time you get off. There's like guys that have been there forever and have like over a month of time every year. Well, it's it's funny that you mentioned unions because um, I feel like that's what we're going to talk about today. Yes, we are going to talk about unions mostly because you mentioned that you're not a real big fan of them, and I generally kind of am. So, so I do want to clarify. I do believe that there is a time and place for unions. Uh, there are instances where I think they interfere with the mission of certain organizations, mm-hmm. and there are times where I feel like unions have failed in their in their mission themselves. So, I'm more than happy to to take on some points with you tonight. Right. I I think that's probably fair, and we may actually agree more than we disagree. Um, but we also work in different industries, and so maybe that kind of colors our our perceptions a little bit, because um, I have n- really no concept of of how your your field wor- really works. And uh, I mean, you might ha- mine's not that hard to really understand. So <laughs> you may have a better insight into my world. Um, but I did I did actually want to go ahead first. We had some uh, comments on the Facebook page. I wanted to just read those, and uh, maybe we can kind of maybe address a couple of those but uh so anyway those are right now i've uh, looks like we've just got a few so i'll just read a few of them here um first one is from nelson he said i think unions are very good my dad is a union employee and they've protected him and many many others and tried to keep the company from screwing them over time and time again which is probably true um i know in my job pretty much any time you know, my manager wants to do a write-up. Uh, it's it's not like a real big deal, but if they do a write-up, they have to have a union steward come in. In in that meeting, he the the union steward who is in my job title actually has the same authority as management does. So he has the ability to push back on, you know, if if something doesn't 
if they're trying to write me up for something that isn't policy or if, if he's not really following the rules or, you know, the uh, contractual agreement between the workforce and management, um, he does have the ability to kind of step in there and push back uh, and escalate that. So, you know, it kind of limits the amount that they can really abuse their power. So that's probably, probably fair. What do you think? So, and so I've actually been in the UAW. I worked for uh, Chrysler mm-hmm. and um, I participated in, in obviously union activities uh, throughout my tenure with them. Uh, I was a temporary employee at the time. And when you're hired in as a temp, you, you essentially have no rights, even though <laughs> you uh, are paying union dues and are mm-hmm. considered a represented employee. Uh, from my experience just working in that environment, I found that the union, yeah, they do protect their employees, but it typically it was the employees, in my opinion, who uh, didn't deserve to be protected because they were just poor employees. Um, and the common excuse there was, well, they put their time in, they deserve to be uh, lazy, they deserve to not do their the job that in the same way that you're being required to do it. So that always, always um, bothered me because it became more about who had more time in, not about who was most qualified uh, for a role. And maybe, I mean, these are kind of anecdotal experiences because I know the, the environment at the phone company where I work is very different. Like I've actually gone into a, a, uh, a write-up uh, meeting one time on a day that it was it was a different our schedule periodically changes once a month and I forgot to show up for work on a day that I was scheduled so you know it was a write-up for an attendance occurrence and um, interestingly enough the uh, my union steward was on my case more than my manager was um, manager really didn't care that much he was just doing the formalities and the uh, the union steward was actually more on my case about why why didn't I show up? But uh, I I know that at least kind of the the culture in my in my particular company, um, there have been some times when you know people did certainly try to abuse the company or you know milk whatever uh, that they could out of the company. But there has also been some instances where managers you know it may be in favor of trying to just get performance metrics like they want more speed so if someone's not getting you know fast enough numbers or or enough production or or what have you um they would start looking for other things to catch them on as kind of gotchas um ways to trip them up and that's that's kind of where the union would step in and say look he's doing everything by policy yeah he's not the fastest but he's also not the slowest guy um but Clearly, we've got other people that are doing things that, you know, they're doing far worse than the things that you're writing this person up. So it looks like you're targeting him because the only reason it seems that you're not writing these other people up is that their numbers aren't as good. Um, So I I get it. Um, There can kind of be some abuse on both sides. Kind of my thing when thinking about unions, for me, I think when we're talking about union workforces, really what we're talking about is power dynamics. Um, because really, with without some sort of democratization of the workforce, 
it, it's hard to really push back against the, you know, the power that management tends to have. And I, I have known some people that in the same industry that I work in have come from some of the other like cable companies um, where they got paid far less. They didn't get as good of uh, benefits or, or what have you. And then they came into, you know, our, our union company and um, they were very hard workers. Um, you know, they didn't just come in and instantly become lazy, um, but they were also treated a lot better and they had some better perks. Um, so there probably are some advantages and disadvantages either way. For me, it's just a matter of really where's the best balance of power. And I, I completely agree with, with that assessment um, because there obviously is a power dynamic at play. Uh, if you look at where, you know, the birth of unions took place, it was on the factory floor. It right. was in industries that essentially mechanized human labor right and you became a cog in a machine and therefore you were only as good as the work and the amount of work that you could provide uh-huh. and that that leads to abuse now my issue is that we've we've gotten smarter we've gotten more technologically adept uh we've come a long way in organizational behavior um and the theories and the working science behind uh, labor theory and how you treat your employees is shifting. Um, and as a result, employees are, are being granted more leniency in general. Uh, and again, this is industrial. I mean, it's specific to, to certain industries, but um, I, I just feel that the, there's a, ment- a, a mental shift uh, taking place within management that says if you abuse your employees, you're not going to get good performance taking care of your customers. You know what? Um, that actually is kind of on that point because um, you talked about coming from, was it GM or Chrysler? Uh, Chrysler, yeah. So my dad worked at Nissan in Nashville or Smyrna for a long time, and they're non-union. Um for a very long time, uh, he had an excellent job. He had very good pay, really, really good benefits. I mean, he had an entire knee replacement with an artificial knee, which partly was due to his job. Um, but uh, the entire thing cost him $15 out of pocket. Um, mm. He had really, really good benefits. In fact, that was one of the main reasons that he worked there, uh, got paid really well. Uh, he drove 100 miles every day to work and back. Um two hours on the road each direction uh, for that job. It was just that good of a job. But that was during a time when the union was trying to organize. And so during that whole period where there was a threat of a union organizing, um, they took very, very good care of their employees. And it's really expensive for a union, you know, to, to organize, to, to try to get everybody to do it. And then after after it gets voted down, you know, they have to have a certain period before they're allowed to try to reorganize. And it's also, you know, very expensive for them to do that. So at some point, when it became very clear that, you know, the union wasn't going to, because they'd been voted down several times, 
when they weren't going to be able to establish, um, that's when everything started to really decline. Um, they started replacing, well, they bought out a bunch of employees to try to get rid of them. They started replacing, you know, a lot of $28 an hour employees with $14 an hour temps. Um, the benefits aren't nearly what they used to be. Um, working hours went up, conditions went down, productivity went up, uh, they became a lot stricter. I mean, pretty much everything shifted, you know, in a negative direction just because there wasn't a threat of a union. So, which is, which, which is funny, though, because, you know, working at Jeep, the same thing happened uh, after the the financial crisis of 2008 mm -hmm. uh there were buyouts they and this these this is a union shop nothing's mm -hmm. changed but they bought out the long-term employees who are who are ex essentially expensive on the payroll right. um they started shifting towards using temp labor uh, uh and as i mentioned earlier the union doesn't even represent the temp labor effectively uh to fight for their rights even right. though they are full-fledged paying members of the union uh, uh, as, a, as a result, now we've got this, I don't know if it's on purpose, but this divide and conquer sort of strategy with uh, with management that says, hey, we keep the temps on this side, we bring them into work, uh, as, you know, they, they can do six, seven days a week without an issue, yep. and we can pay them half the half the wage and, and and the unions letting them do it. Yeah, which that's which is the funny part that really is. Uh, Mm -hmm. I feel like, and, and you, well, it, I, I feel like American unions are just generally way weaker than they are in, yes. like, uh, especially in like Europe or Scandinavia. Um, actually, kind of on that too, the next comment um, kind of sounds sort of similar to that. Um, Drew said, "I think it depends on the union. I've been a part of a union that was very adversarial towards the company and employees worked at uh, did not." Wait a minute. If, uh, I, I just misread that. I have been part of a union that was very adversarial towards the company. The, comp uh, the employees worked at did not work towards educating the workers during contract and only managed a small increase on the check. You had to pay out of that check for benefits. I've also been a part of a union that worked with the contracting companies to provide education and advancement union-sponsored events, all insurance and retirement included, and package a considerable amount on the check, treated like more than just your union dues. So I guess it probably does vary depending on which union. Um, and kind of like I mentioned earlier, it is very expensive for a union to try to organize. Um, I think if it were easier for people to just vote in maybe a you know, a better union that was a better fit or did a better job, maybe there might be some more democratic pull and how, you know, things are run. Um, but it is kind of complicated to implement a union. And then once it's implemented, trying to change it, that's, that's a pretty big deal that's, that's within a company. Even, yeah. Um, the, the common line is, um, you are the union right. because, you know, that's what you are as an employee, you are representing yourself. Uh, but the, the problem is there's a whole nother level of politics that goes into it, yep. uh, because they've got their own governance. They've got their own leadership that you have to vote for, which and then I, even, ideally, you know, because you do have to vote for it, then, um, it in theory should be very democratic. However, like I know in my company, my department only comprises a very small portion of the votes um, because it's not just technicians. It's also salespeople. It's call center people. Uh, it's people in all different kinds of departments, and they're all kind of voting in their own best interest. So if yep. you're not the biggest department, then you may not get very good representation within that union. 
Exactly. And that's that. That that's my experience with it. Um, but one important for, consideration is that unions have to take a lot of work. And I feel like the more corporatized the union itself becomes, the less people become invested in it. Mm-hmm. Yep. I think that's true. In the UAW, definitely, uh, I can I can say, define that. It's interesting because I was a member of the UAW for Chrysler, and then when I took my position with my healthcare organization, uh, I was union represented by the UAW. And... In healthcare, being represented by a union that is mostly experienced in automotive and aerospace, mm-hmm. uh, you're not exactly getting the best reputation. They didn't even know how to begin negotiating uh, during contract time because they had such limited experience and they weren't important. They're more worried about, you know, the, the big uh, automotive plants in town, and that's what they focused on. So uh, being able to select which union you bring in is important right uh uh, for sure but i don't know i i I just think that unions overall are cumbersome they add another layer of politics to the workplace they create a naturally adversarial environment that doesn't have to exist uh i i kind of disagree i think that it's already going to be somewhat adversarial it's just that it's individualized per employee instead of as you know uh an entire organization within the company um because i mean like i worked for uh, a small company before i worked where i work now it was obviously non-union um and, you know, being that it was a smaller company, each individual employee had a little bit more pull, I guess, against, you know, the boss, the owner. Um, but even at that, pretty much whatever the boss said was just kind of what goes. You didn't really have it. In fact, you know, whenever I left, it was kind of on the terms of, well, I don't have a vehicle free to use. And it was like, well, I'd literally just had a gun pulled on me because I walked up to somebody's house driving my personal vehicle. So I, I kind of need an official company truck to, to, cause people don't tend to question me whenever I'm in a company truck. And, uh, so I don't have one for you to use, so you can either work or you can just go home. So I just went home. Um, within the job that I work now, when I came into the union environment, um, it was a very different environment. Like there was a lot more focus on uh, worker safety. Uh, there was a lot more focus on kind of our overall well-being. There was actual limits on how much overtime we were, you know, forced to work as where before I've literally worked 30-hour shifts before. Now I, they can't force me to work more than uh, 14 hours of overtime per week. Um it's a pretty stark difference. And of course, it is a larger company. Uh, they do have more resources, but uh, just just kind of the culture is different. And even even such, uh, you would think it would be more adversarial. And yet I get into far less conflict with my management than um, I did before. And part of it is, you know, managers kind of know what they can push and what they can't really get away with. So they don't even really bother to try because they don't want to have to fight the union on something stupid. And that is a nice aspect is that it kind of does lay out the ground rules uh, for management. Right. What they can and can't do. Um, Certainly a lot more structured. And and another interesting thing, uh, I know you mentioned that you have limited overtime. Uh, With Chrysler, we were on 10-hour days, six days a week. So. you get one day off 
Yeah, I mean, we've we have it. we have done forced six days, um, partly because the company just wouldn't hire any people, and we had a bunch of people leave over the years. Um, literally, we're hiring for the first time in six years right now. I'm I'm kind of in the process of training new guys, but we've been on four six day weeks. But the the drawback for the company when they do that is that we all start capping out, hitting that fourteen hours of overtime, and we can voluntarily work as much as we want. But once we hit that magic number, the fourteen within a week. Every day that we work after that, we still have to work, um, you know, an eight-hour shift. But if that eight-hour shift is going to bring you past 14 hours, you can leave right at the end of that eight-hour shift. So if they still have work to do, they've got to figure that out while the workforce is going home because they can't make us stay. So they've got some pushback where it's in their best interest to just not work us to death because they know that ultimately they're going to fail the customer. They're not going to have people to keep sending back out. Which is again, it's interesting because the entire mentality at, at at Chrysler was was different, even among the workforce. They wanted to be ridden hard and sent home. Uh, if the opportunity came up to work seven days a week, most of the plant was on it. Wow! Uh, and maybe that's the uh, difference of an auto worker versus a fungi. <laughs> exactly, and and that's just the culture of the, of the union in that plant, and. I just I couldn't justify throwing the majority of my life away sitting, sitting oh, there no. working like that because that's what the union wanted. They wanted those hours. They could have gone over to eight-hour shifts at any point. See, like my job, it's very much the op. We have one guy who volunteers for everything, and he wants to work as many hours as possible. But like literally everybody else, we'll take some overtime. It's kind of nice to get the extra money occasionally, but most of us get paid well enough that really what's – I mean – Personally, what's important to me is time with my family. Um, I don't really want to spend my life at my job. It's I don't hate it. It's not bad work, but it's also not where I want to be. That's not my life. That's just what I do to pay my mortgage. So you know, any chance that I get, I'm I'm in fact having this extra week of vacation this year for the um, you know my seventh year is is really valuable to me because I I highly value my time. So any any more time the company gives to me is is very much appreciated. And that is something that unions do tend to fight for. Um, I don't know of other cable companies that give you more and more vacation time. I, that may be something that some companies do, but that's just part of our, you know, negotiated contract with the companies. We just get more time as as we're there longer. And and there are industries that again, as I mentioned, they have modernized their thought process around how they treat employees right um where my my benefits now are better than anything i had under union representation um that that again could probably vary between industries yeah because some industries are going to be like ours are constantly looking for loopholes to try to um cheat the union contract you know any way they can slip in extra little Mm -hmm. things uh, they're constantly looking to chip away at that Uh, and they do over time they find loopholes and they chip away every little opportunity they can so that might just be an industry difference and that's what i mean when it comes to the adversarial nature it's it seems like the employees are nitpicking at the management and the management's nitpicking at the employees um through this contract process and everybody's just trying to find their way to to get in and i so, I mean, do you think it would be better without the pushback at all? Do you think they would actually treat us better? It, again, it depends on the industry. Right. 
I mean, if if you've got I, I know in my a industry, leadership culture that cares about their employees. I, I know in that, my industry, generally cable companies aren't unionized and phone companies generally are. And hands down, pretty much phone companies always pay way better and just have better benefits. It's just a better standard. That's kind of where people want to be. They don't like working for cable companies as much. I, I'm sure we could find examples of individual businesses that don't have unions that are t- taking extraordinarily good care of their employees. Yeah. I'm the sure one that can. comes to mind is it's like the guy that was running that uh, call center service, you know, like that debt collection service or whatever. Mm-hmm. And he had a million dollar salary and he canceled it all so that everybody just had the same salary in the company. Right. And everybody ended up getting paid like $76,000, whatever the story is. Mm-hmm. Right. But those are exceptions, and history has very clearly laid out the case that, on the average, companies will pay laborers as little as possible because companies have a fiduciary duty to profit. They don't have a fiduciary duty to the worker. But when the science says, and there's an evidence base that states treating your employees well and reimbursing them well translates into higher profits because those employees are more engaged at work and they're and they're working with those customers better and increasing sales then the case can be made we're still kind of at the dawn of that age and that way of thinking um but you're right i do agree that as long as we place profit over you know, responsibility to our fellow man, then, then yeah, th- this is going to be a problem. Yeah, got, I would like to see that change. I've got one more comment that I want to read um, from Heathman that says, I'd be interested to learn if there's a, quote, recipe or formula for a good slash effective union. Also would be interested to hear about the ways each political party gets it wrong when painting with a large rhetorical brushes. Um that's kind of interesting. Um, I don't know that there really is a an established recipe for, um, you know, what makes a, a good or effective union. Um, I know politically, generally, people on the left tend to favor more workplace democratization. So, you know, unions or um, work, uh, you know, like worker co-ops. Or even, you know, full-fledged socialism, you know, just the means of production being owned by the actual labor force. On the right, it can kind of vary. Um, I know it's like specifically if you look at like uh, ANCAPs or or anarcho-capitalists, they tend to be very anti-regulation for corporations. So just whatever the market, you know, completely uh, unregulated, open, free markets, um, just let that sort everything out. Um, I think that the United States tends to be more on the right than the left, um, where like compared with, you know, countries in Scandinavia, um, like most of those countries don't even have like an established government enforced minimum wage. Um, just because practically everybody that works in the workforce in countries, you know, like Sweden or Denmark or Iceland, Norway, Switzerland, whatnot, um, they're almost entirely union just that's how everything functions is that everybody has to hire out of unions and they get paid generally like their their minimum average pay tends to be around 15 all the way up to like in the 20s 
um, it's it it's really interesting to to try to parse out what what a good union would be but yeah. I, I think they can exist and i don't think that unions should be destroyed um i feel that if a business has the power to hire and fire an employee has the right to organize to protect themselves so in in a true free market a union is just a, a market response to um, the environment and circumstances around it. True. So it should be motivation for companies to treat their employees well out of fear of unionization. That's true. Uh, sort of like Nissan which, did. <laughs> yeah, which, which unfortunately it doesn't always translate well um, because most of them take a more punitive approach to, to the idea of right. unionization. Well, it's even like JJ said, like the history um, – you know, where companies really don't, haven't historically made that a top priority. Um, I mean, at least in our history in the United States, um, you know, unions were leading the way for fighting for, you know, like paid parental leave. Uh, first they fought for like 10 hour work days and then they were fighting for eight hour work days. Um, I think their mantra was something like back with GM in the 1930s, they were, I think that was, uh, they had like a, uh, saying it was eight hours for work, eight, eight hours for eight, rest, eight. eight hours for what we will. Kind of that splitting yep. up of personal time versus work time. Um, they fought for the 40-hour work week, uh, better safety regulations. They fought really heavily against child labor, which was prominent, especially in like, uh, um, uh, you know, coal mining and, cool. and uh, textiles, right, textiles and whatnot. So, I mean, those were all very big things that unfortunately we'll never know if corporations ever would have come around because they didn't have the opportunity. Unions fought for that first. Oh, you, you know they wouldn't come around. They still use child labor around the globe. Right. So, I'm, yeah, I have again. an alternative that I've always felt would be appropriate is that uh, if America was to install a universal basic income that could meet everyone's basic needs, mm -hmm. Then companies would have to compete for laborers, and laborers would not be trapped into work. It's true. The Completely biggest driver agree. for this conflict is the fact that the laborers, like the first strike that ever occurred, was because of uh, oh, which group was it? Was textile workers, mm -hmm. and they were about to get a blanket wage reduction across the board, and so all of the textile workers for this company just went on strike. Oh yeah, I heard about that. Um, that was in seventeen fifty eight, I believe. Uh, but like if, if workers could just be like, you know what, I don't need this job and leave, then companies would be obligated to make sure that they, you know, had value in the work there right now, because people have, they have to work or they die. Yep. Right. Well, and kind of like going back to, cause you know, the, the minimum wage, the $15 minimum wage is, is a hot topic right now. I'm not um, a fan. I'm not personally either, um, because there are problems with it. Um, and I can kind of see like, you know, trying to make a mom and pop gas station in the country, um, pay $15 an hour could literally, you know, cause them to just not be able to afford to hire anybody where, you know, um, you just can't live in New York for that. It's not possible. Um, and that's kind of where I thought, you know, like like Scandinavian countries or European countries where wages are more dictated by industry based on, you know, um, 
labor unions uh, negotiating those rates, that actually could be more adaptive per industry and not just have like a flat government enforced rate that has to go across the board. Mm -hmm. Which is great and all until you get into lobbying and uh, we all know how the deals go down in Washington. Yeah. Right. Uh, well, look at the Chrysler uh, UAW scandal. Um, it's just interesting a few years that, ago. like, we have so many issues here. Why is it so much better in some other countries? Or do we just believe that? Uh, maybe. I don't know. I mean, I don't, I don't know. It I may would... be terrible in other countries, too, but unions <laughs> do seem a lot stronger in, yeah. say, Western Europe. I, I only, like, know a couple of people that even live in, like, Sweden, um, and I don't know much about their, uh, you know, like, their, their work environment, except that they think that it's ridiculous kind of what we deal with here. <laughs> with, Which you know, it is. With, you know, like, the, the absurd amounts of money that it costs us just to get an education, the um, very limited amount of time we have off after we, you know, have a child, and it tends to be limited to just the mother and not the, the father. Um the amount that we get paid per hour just for pretty much any job compared to them. Um, even though it's more expensive to live there, uh, they're better off and can afford it um, just because they get paid more. Um, so I know from the few people that I've talked to in some other countries, they kind of generally look down <laughs> at our, our standard of living here, but I don't know a whole lot you know, more in depth than that. We're, we're up against a cultural mindset of individuality, uh, capitalistic, you know, beliefs that we're going to pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps. We don't want handouts from anybody. And that has just been pervasive throughout yeah. history. Uh, unions have been closely tied with Marxist movements. Yep. And um, uh, what was it back in the back when the Socialist it, Party was prominent or not yes. prominent, but actually existed in the United States? Um, they were. Uh, you know, the, the unions were very strong in that party. America Which, has a really big problem with collectivism. Right. We do. We don't like it. Um, and that's that's the root of almost all of the issues we have in this country uh, because we want to do things our own way regardless of how it impacts other people. Well, like generally the, the big pushback that I tend to hear um, from people who are very anti-communist, anti-socialist, is they're also very anti-authoritarian, and that's what they view socialism as, is authoritarianism, where I, I think if you're actually looking at the mindset of actual leftists, they tend to be very anti-authoritarian, um, but then I think that the examples people are thinking of are very authoritarian systems like, you know, the USSR or, um, you know, the... Uh, <laughs> the Nazis, which were not actually, um, they were the National Socialist Party, but um, ideologically they were basically fascist, um, kind of the exact opposite of demo democratic um, rule, which was kind of more what, you know, leftists were in favor of was, you know, democratization. Do you think that there could be some conflation there of maybe just um, different perceptions of what leftism or... Um, you know, uh, those sorts of systems are in America. Maybe we just have a different perception than other places do. So my, my big concern, especially when we study, you know, communism, if we were to go full communism right. in this country, you have to cross a bridge. And that bridge is 
at some point you have to remove property from private property holders. Right. And to get there, you need to have a government that is willing to do that. And that translates into use of force. Right. Which so isn't uh, like we do the, that already. Right. We just do it for drugs. Well, and also, I mean, if you think about it, we still have very authoritarian systems in the United States. They just tend to be oriented around uh, corporations instead of around democratically elected government. Right. Which, I mean, there's problems with both, but... Yeah, um, <laughs> um, there definitely are. D- depending on how you structure a government, there's at least there a potential for there to be, you know, a democratic process where in a private corporation there absolutely is not. Unless it's like a workers' co-op or something. It's really difficult to answer, you know, how do we get from point A to point B without tearing down the fabric of what at least half of our country feels is sacred. Right. I think a UBI is the first step, though. Um, it does give the workers power. It, it divorces uh, labor and survival. Yeah, um, just doing it, that would would you could literally argue that the market would be free. Yeah, that, that, that's well, a true free market. That and universal health care, I think, would be yes, uh, absolutely um, would have to go with that because without health care, you know that that's just as like my my dad worked for Nissan partly for the pay, but largely for the benefits because he had kids and we got sick a lot and he had to he would have had to pay thousands and thousands of dollars of medical bills that he just didn't have to because of his job. I agree that you're spot on that if we want the real way to find meaningful change is to separate labor and survival. Right. That was that that's a hundred percent statement right there, Sam. So what do you guys think? I mean, what you had (laughs) said, uh, you had a, a, a big issue with it in healthcare. Um, so yeah, I actually you know, I worked through um, a huge labor strike um, in Toledo, and the union took all of our nurses and all of the support staff, and, and uh-huh. they, they had a strike. We had to bring in essentially what people would call scabs to keep things running. Right. Uh, um, the Jeep workers would come out and support. They would drive around the hospital at all hours of the night, blaring their horns. Uh, which, if you're a patient, isn't exactly the most ideal environment to no. be in yeah. uh, if you're trying to recover. And the excuses I would hear back from people in the union were like, well, maybe the company should have thought about that. And I just, I just think that's a very narrow mindset. So um, that, like, between your job and mine, um, in my industry, yeah, that's a fair criticism. We're talking about people's, like, TV, right? Um, it's inconvenient if I can't show up to, you know, install your cable TV service or something, even internet, which now is more important than it used to be because everybody works from home now. But back when my company went on strike, which doesn't ever happen because there's anti-strike clauses in our union contract, but we went for over a year out of contract because the company wouldn't agree to terms with the union. So we were just out of contract and we actually went on a strike. Um, in that industry, pretty much every single person who got, you know, an appointment missed and were lied to by the company told that, you know, something else was the cause of it. And then later when we showed up for the appointment after the strike ended, 
every single person that I told, oh, no, that was during the, the, the union strike, every single time they said, well, good for you guys. Because they have this perception of, well, AT&T is a big company. You guys work really hard. And, I mean, you deserve to be treated fairly. So if you went on strike, then, yeah, go you. Um, I didn't have a single person who wasn't supportive of that. And when we were, you know, marching and, and had the signs up, people were very supportive. Now, healthcare, that's different. Um, you're dealing with people's lives, not their, <laughs> not their convenience. Um, I, that would be a lot harder for me because I don't go to work saving lives. I go to work giving people a luxury item. Um, I don't take it, it nearly as seriously. This reminds me of when the Reagan forcefully ended the uh, airline pilot strike because he said you can't shut down the in- interstate commerce with right. a strike. Yeah, that's true. And so, I don't know I mean, how much I agree with that, but this there's precedent for this. I yeah. mean, we have industries that that we can, we can't. I don't want to endanger someone else's life because, right. you know, I'm not happy about my working conditions. There have got to be other ways around it. I mean, unless they uh, were so bad that your life was being endangered. Absolutely. <laughs> right. I mean, at, at one point in our history, you know, we had like six million unemployed people and two million child laborers. No. So, I mean, you know, it can be uh, <laughs> it can go to an extreme in the opposite direction. Um, but certainly in our environment now and with, you know people's actual lives at risk, um, that's a very different circumstance in the medical industry than it would be for somebody like me. Yeah, we don't want to, we don't want to, you know, continuity of care was a huge issue. Um, We had nurses who just essentially walked off, immediately had to be replaced with people we brought in from agencies, and they don't know that patient. They don't know that history. Um, everybody performed well in those circumstances, thankfully. Right. But it was a huge risk. And yeah. if you take your, your oath seriously, if you take your job seriously, that you are there to provide patient care, you don't walk off. And it actually split. Like, we had employees who didn't walk because they understood the obligation. Right. And, and so... Yeah, in our, our that, case, every single employee, it started in just Columbus... Um, one garage was going to do it, and um, literally the entire state of Ohio, parts of Indiana, and parts of Michigan, the entire workforce walked off the job in complete solidarity, uh, which was pretty impressive to watch, actually. Um, but yeah, I mean, very different culture, but it's also different stakes, you know. We're, mm-hmm. uh, again, we're not, it's not life and death over here. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. You ever try to download a. A video game when needs to update. <laughs> the suffering is palpable. Yeah. It is. I mean, all your friends are online. They're having a good time. You can't. Oh. What do you What do you think about uh, this? Is this is gonna totally shift gears here? What do you think about police unions? I think Ooh. they fall under the same category as healthcare. The I think kind the poli- of oh, I, the police unions are very problematic to me. They're uh, extraordinarily go, go pro- problematic. And like if we should say that we should restrict a health care union, like a health care union shouldn't be able to do a walk off strike with no notice uh-huh. because, you know, there's a ri- there's a harm associated with that. Uh, the same thing would apply to a police union. They're like you have to the things unions should be curtailed, just like you'd want to curtail a corporation that's out of control. A union is also just people. And it can get out of control, too. Right. And 
you have response a responsible state will administer as much freedom and restriction as is necessary depending upon the you know what the criteria being addressed and police unions have a lot of special criteria right i yeah. believe that police unions are an enabling force that leads to brutality That's, i agree I, I mean again we're talking about Unions are about power dynamics, and it, with police, we're talking about someone who already has a lot of power <laughs> over the general population, and you know any kind of consequence for that. If there's someone defending them against any consequences, then that can be problematic right there. This would be a great topic for a future show. Um, since since there's so much to unpack with it, yeah, <laughs> there there really is when it, when it comes to to police and use of force and. Uh, I, I always I believe that the same principles we apply in healthcare towards quality improvement towards uh -huh. ensuring patient safety should be applied to the police force and everybody kind of like on the right scoffs at that idea. I'm like these people are criminals and they don't deserve um, special treatment or anything. And no, you're, everybody, you're providing a service. Well, everybody deserves that, just treatment. Yes. Um, Even if that service is arresting someone and putting them in jail, it should be done in a safe manner that protects life around in a 360 degree view so well and yeah. that's why we have courts to determine you know what appropriate action to take uh, you don't do that before anything's proven or anyone's had their due process exactly yeah that could be a whole nother episode yeah <laughs> <laughs> i think you i think we could marry the two together you know as kind of a theme because there is a, a theme. It's this question of what should you permit different subgroups of people so that the maximum number of people are better off? Right. Ideally, maybe like not have, you know, a bunch of struggling $7 an hour employees to enable a billionaire, but that's my take. Again, I think that you should just have a UBI so nobody has to work. Right. Yeah. And if Amazon I, I, wants... If Amazon wants to hire quality people, then they're going to have to compete with all the other businesses that also want to hire quality people. Right. Yep. I, I think UBI is the easiest answer uh, to, to this question. Um, it really does solve a lot of problems. Um, thankfully, the, the, the uh, institution I work for now, they've set a standard to where the minimum wage for all employees is $15 an hour. Um and you, you're, being, you're beginning to see that really across the board with a lot of industries, uh, retail like Target. I know that their minimum wage is at least ten. I don't know if they were on their way to twelve. Okay, so it's more. Oh. Uh, the only one who's uh, behind the eight ball and that's Walmart, um, yeah. which which their special discussion they have, they have like, themselves. Yeah, whole whole conversations about the walmartization of the market <laughs> we just we, i don't know why it's so hard just to implement a standing set of rules that employers have to follow either it's like hey okay eight hours a week why can't we just mandate this is as much overtime as they're allowed to have you know you abuse your employees you're gonna be punished but then again oh man the meatpacking industry uh, there's some some interesting stuff going on there where it's cheaper to pay the OSHA fines than it is to protect the employees. So <laughs> that's that's just it. Meat, like in places where it's 
where it's illegal because uh, it's illegal to retaliate against a union organizer, right? You can't yeah. fire someone for being an. But companies do it knowing full well that it's illegal, knowing that they'll get taken to court, and knowing that they'll lose and have to per- give that person their job back because it's effective. Yeah. It's and it's cheaper. cheaper. Co- companies you. only have a fiduciary duty to profit. Yeah. Do, um, you. Having mentioned it a few times, do we have any examples of where UBI has been successfully implemented? No. There are a couple test cases. Yeah, that's about it. Uh, There's a big one. The biggest one Now I was listening to, it was in Belgium or the Netherlands? Yeah, it's one of those Nordic countries. And uh, (laughs) they just concluded, I believe it was like a two-year program, and they are still analyzing all the data that they've gathered to present a report. Mm. I don't know what happened to that because like, I kind of lost all of, That was the kind of thing I was interested in in the before times. Yeah. <laughs> uh, a lifetime ago. <laughs> what, five years ago? Yeah, five, ten. I don't even know anymore. Huh. All right. Well, I mean... Yeah, it sounds like we're not really that far off from each other, actually. No, I think we're all on the same page, and and I think unions, as I said, they have they definitely have a place in society. Uh, they should be used to help balance power within a workplace that is willing to abuse their employees, and that's typically blue collar jobs where your primary goal is to pump out a product or service as quickly as possible. Right. Um, well, and like you know, just looking at kind of the. The pay structure in the United States, um, if you, I, I can look up some graphs. I've seen them before. Uh, if you kind of look at, like, from, like, the 30s up until, like, the 70s, um, as productivity raised with corporations, um, I think there's, like, a period where it's, like, about 100% raise, and um, pay rates rose with that productivity level, like, right in line with it, right up until about 73 or so. And then from that point forward up until I think it's about 2010, they rose another like 90%. So they continued to skyrocket in productivity. However, wages stagnated. Like they start, there's like this really straight line as it as they diverge. And that's actually around the same time that unions started declining. So it's, it's like they correlate really well if you compare the, because I looked up two different graphs. Um, uh, I'm trying to remember where they were from. One of them was from, uh, oh, because I was doing, uh, one of them was like a U.S. Chamber um, link, and then there was some uh, labor industry. Anyway, the uh, uh, if you kind of look at them, as the union uh, participation starts declining, you get this bigger and bigger divergence between productivity and pay rates. And basically, the, everything in the middle of that gap is profits. There is a paradigm shift coming as we enter this new industrial revolution of AI and automation. Yeah. Where these blue collar jobs are going to begin disappearing. Yep. And we as a nation are going to have to to decide how are we going to address this because we can't have millions of people unemployed or working at for $7 an hour at McDonald's. Right. A UBI is going to be necessary. We have to do that because part of what's driving that that gap that you mentioned isn't just the unions. It's, it's the fact that we're automating. It's true. It's the fact that we can now produce faster and be more efficient at it with less labor. 
Right. And that's never going away. No, it's not. It's only going to get worse. We have trucks that are going to be able to drive themselves across the country to deliver product. And we're going to see that this century. I don't know if I'll see it before I die, but sometime before the end of this century, all major commercial transportation will be automated. Yep. Just kind of thinking about that profit, like my uh, my boss at work, um, he's he's a conservative. Uh, He's uh, uh, generally a Trump supporter. He's not like a bad dude or anything, but he's just he's a Republican. Um, But he actually liked a policy idea out of California where if corporations make a certain amount of money and they don't pay a certain amount to their employees, they just get taxed into oblivion, and that tax money goes into social programs for the people that they would have, they should be supporting in the first place. Um, I don't necessarily know that I disagree with, you know, tactics like that just to get at some of that profit to put it back where it kind of needs to go. I prefer it went to the employees who help generate that profit. Right, but if they refuse to do it, it's going to go somewhere except for in their pocket. Yeah, uh, I think it's a great idea to create financial disincentive um, to pay low wages. Right. But, you know, getting that through Congress is is we can't even get $15 an hour passed right now. So. No. Which is funny because like most of the Nordic countries I mentioned get paid more than that on uh, without even a federally enforced mandate. Like in Switzerland, uh, they they proposed like a twenty five dollar an hour minimum wage, and it was unanimously rejected, just because you know they were afraid that that would impose too much on some smaller businesses. But ninety percent of their population earns more than that anyway. Anyway, yeah. So it's not even really that big of a deal for them. Where here, it's like we've got so many people that are in poverty. Um, we we're in a very different environment than they are. We we were talking about uh, the idea, you know, the automation that's coming, and I think that uh, one of my like speculative dreams is that I think that we are eventually going to build AI that is going to manage the market. Interesting. Yes, I I think we and we're probably closer to that than we than we think we are um, with our AI capabilities. We have quantum computing coming online. Man, combining quantum computing with some of this neural network stuff that they're doing is unfathomable. Mm-hmm. There's only one of two possibilities. We're either going to end up with Terminators or... Um, Star Trek. Or Star Trek. Yeah, that, that's really the, the the diversion point. I shared a meme the other day that uh, kind of made this really poignant statement about... Uh, the reason the reason robots and humans conflicted was because robots were programmed with the first law, which was uh, that uh, you know a robot cannot cause harm or through an action allow harm to befall a human, and uh, the robots immediately began protecting the homeless and the poor and the destitute, and the humans hadn't even considered that because the poor and the destitute are just something that this country especially considers as part of that just. That's the price you pay for a successful economy is right. some people have to fall through the cracks. And the robots were not programmed with that thought in mind. <laughs> well, I, I hope AI uh, opens some doors for us as a society to uh, advance because even even the 40-hour work week I'm beginning to feel is, is excessive. Uh, when your weekends feel like a 30-minute lunch break, something is, well, is not right. It's like our... It's like our productivity keeps going up. 
and it keeps going up per person. Mm-hmm. Productivity just continues to climb, and that's largely, you know, due to automation. Yeah. But if productivity continues to go up and people continue to work the same hours for the same pay. what is growing profits are yeah but profits are abstract yeah. they are. i mean at the end of the day it's fiat money you know we make all we make it all up it's all pretend every bit of it until you get down to survivability every bit of it yeah Exactly. And, and we're at the point, we, we don't live in the woods. We're not naked and afraid anymore. Um, I think <laughs> That's we can, a bummer. Yeah, we can structure a society that, that cares for, for people. Yeah. And, and uh, I mean, I, I don't discredit capitalism. I think it's a, a very effective, efficient tool at pulling societies out of poverty. But there's also a back end of it, too. Um, you have to transition as as you grow. Um, and I think that we're just really resisting any kind of transition and it's starting to slip the opposite direction um, where we're just continually increasing that gap. And and that's the problem with, uh, with capitalism. We just need to, and, and conservatism, it's, it's they want to hang on to this old system that has worked in the past, but they ignore the realities that it's causing in the present. And... They also uh, are blind to where technology is taking us in the future. Right. So, well, I'm hoping for that Star Trek future. <laughs> yeah, me too. Yeah, it'd be fancy. All right, I'm oh. going to call it a night here, yeah. guys. Yep. That was a good talk. Um, Excellent. Any final thoughts? Start I- with you, JJ. You know, I like how the conversation wandered from you know talk about unions and some of the pros and cons to really asking the question like the what 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 was the purpose of the union to accomplish in the past and what kind of things do we actually have to face in the future and how useful some of those approaches will be in future problems. Completely agree with that. Um, this was an excellent conversation, and we are all a lot closer on this than I than I think. Um, much of us many of us thought we were uh as much as i as i don't like the unions they are a powerful tool and they do have a place in our society and hopefully we can all work together towards a brighter future where everyone benefits yeah i I think like i said before too you know we're not just talking about unions we're talking about power dynamics between those with power and those without and i think generally um my opinion is that democratizing things more and giving more power to the people, you know, in a society that make uh, that comprise the majority of it is generally a good thing. I think we should try to pull all of society up instead of just, you know, the, the masses pushing a select few up to the very top. Um, so, you know, if unions are one way to work us in that direction, then great. If there are better, more effective ways of doing that, then also great. You know, I'm in favor of pretty much any tool that brings us to that end. Um, but yeah, that was a, a really great talk. Um, really appreciate your guys' input. Uh, for you guys out there, if you have uh, any thoughts, by all means, email us. If you'd like to be a guest, you can go to analyzepodcast.com. Um click on the become a guest if you'd like to support the show uh there's a few things you could actually do you could actually go to the itunes uh, store and give us a good rating leave us a review um google podcast as well spotify and uh, that just kind of helps our show grow a little bit if you'd like to become a, a paid subscriber for some of the exclusive content you can go to our patreon um, at patreon.com slash analyze podcast 
uh, or actually might just be analyzed. You can go to our website and click on it there and become a member. But uh, otherwise, um, thanks for joining us and uh, uh, enjoy the rest of your week. Appreciate it, guys. Yep. Later. <laughs>